The Week in Doubt, religious news stories from a skeptical perspective, random musings on everything from pop culture to politics, and even audio documentaries on weird and interesting topics like Krampus and the history of the holidays. The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, the host of The Week in Doubt, and this is episode 341. So let's see, no shoutouts today, but I did want to quickly take care of a kind of correction or clarification. In the last episode of the show, that wasn't a Halloween repeat, I was responding to right-wing preacher, I think he's technically a Protestant minister, slash conservative commentator E.W. Jackson's claim that people on the left don't have morals and therefore are capable of anything because they lack religion or belief in God. And so, as I tried to point out, and I'm paraphrasing myself, uh, you know, there are many atheists or non-believers who are very caring and moral or principled people, and that often it can be, at least in part, a person's moral sense, their integrity or principles that actually kind of lead them away from religion. And the example I use is that sometimes people will find some of the more barbaric notions or antiquated tenets, etc., of a religion morally offensive, And that episode was largely unscripted, and one obvious thing that had me kicking myself after the fact that I should have mentioned is theodicy, or the problem of evil, and that people often have trouble trying to reconcile the idea of a good or loving God with all the abject suffering and misery in the world, and not just man's inhumanity, the man, which apologists can try to pin on us, but things like disease, the horror and iniquity of the food chain, parasites, flesh-eating bacteria, innocence randomly wiped out by natural disasters, etc., But apologists will often try to blame that stuff on us, too. We live in a fallen world because of original sin. It's all our fault. We lowly humans let God down, starting with Adam and Eve. And this is a notion I've always found deeply morally problematic or offensive, that all humanity should have to suffer for the transgression of, you know, the first two people. Not that I actually think that the fall in the garden narrative is literally true, but the fact that some actually take it literally and see it as a justification explanation for human suffering. I do find that to be ignorant and offensive. But yeah, I should have mentioned theodicy as well. Uh, I said that would be a quick clarification. Characteristically, it wasn't. But speaking of suffering, how about a quick medical update? (laughs) For those of you who care, I'll try to be quick. Uh, This is actually kind of a positive one for once. So if you're a regular listener, you probably know I tried a couple of uh, medicines for my chronic migraines recently, and they were both horrible. I tried Topamax and Mirtazapine. Both made me feel extremely sedated and gave me a vivid dream slash nightmares. Well, I recently started Duloxetine, a.k.a. Cymbalta. No drowsiness. If anything, I have more energy. Uh, My mood's up a bit, and the headaches seem to be fading, so that's good. Uh, Cymbalta, as you might know, is an antidepressant, but it's also commonly prescribed for chronic pain, nerve pain associated with fibromyalgia and that sort of thing. Uh, It elevates serotonin norepinephrine. 
Uh, the past couple days, for some reason, my headaches have been acting up a little, uh, which kind of sucks because I'm supposed to be doing something social for the first time in a while tonight. I'm going to be going to a Halloween party. So I might pop, uh, I might cheat and pop one of my old Prozacs just to try to take the, uh, the curse off the, or the edge off the headache. Uh, we'll see how things go. The last thing I want to be is to be at a party all night and be suffering from a migraine. I wonder if part of it is that I've been kind of beating the hell out of my body. Not only do I do, you know, manual labor for a living, you know, I work for my family's uh, contracting or remodeling business, but in order to try to keep off all the weight I've lost over the past couple of years, I've been uh, working out for like two hours a night after work. I'll come home and, you know, I'll just watch YouTube videos or whatever, or catch up on a TV show or watch a movie. And I'll do like some stretching, weight lifting, push-ups, sit-ups. Then I'll ride a stationary bike. Well, it's one of those, I think they call them an air bike. The ones that kind of have the handles are like rowing machine bars or whatever. And I'll ride one of those for at least an hour. And I think I might be overworking my shoulders and that might kind of be... Um, you know, exacerbating my headaches or whatever. So maybe I should cut it down to like ride the bike for like just a half an hour a night or something like that. Yeah, it's weird. A, a few years ago, uh, at my worst, I think I was up to 237 pounds. And I don't know how the hell that happened. You know, when I was in high school and in my early 20s, I had kind of like a, a lean swimmer's build. And it's funny how it fools you. You know, you, you gradually gain weight and you don't, oh, for some reason you don't notice it in the mirror the way you should until one day you catch yourself from the, the wrong angle and you realize how much your belly's sticking out or people start making, you know, wise ass comments or whatever. But yeah, um, when I really realized how, finally realized how heavy I was, I got really serious about losing weight and it's been a gradual thing. So I went from 237, like, two and a half to three years ago or something to now I'm this morning I was 168. So I'm, I'm 5'10", 168 pounds. And uh, I'm pretty slim. If I pinch, I still have a little like hint of a, a love handle. So <laughs> maybe I'll try to get down to like 160 or something like that. I don't know. But so geez, I, I mean, horrible at math, but off the top of my head, I, I think, uh, yeah, I must have lost probably roughly 70 pounds or something like that. And if you're someone out there who's trying to lose weight too, I don't want to make it sound like it's, you know, it, it, oh, wow, it was nothing. It was really easy to do. Obviously, it can be very challenging. It's a constant struggle to control your willpower, etc. But it's funny, weight, uh, weight loss is one of those things where in theory or principle, what you have to do to lose weight is incredibly simple. You just have to eat less, be somewhat active, you know. Um, but what makes it so damn difficult is willpower. You know, that's the hardest part of it, trying to, uh, trying to maintain that willpower. And, and not give in and not backslide. But it's important if you do backslide or fall off the wagon a little, not to beat yourself up too much because that'll just make you feel guilty and defeated and you'll be more likely to, you know, just throw in the towel. You have to kind of say, all right, you know, I slipped up today, but tomorrow's a brand new day to start again and do better and I'm going to do it, you know? And to be honest, 
I think it's important for your health to try to eat healthy. But the most important thing, more than changing the kind of food you eat, I've found, is simply cutting calories. Um, I still, I go through patches where I eat well, and then I go back to eating junk. Sometimes it's like 50-50. And uh, I, I do want to improve the quality of my diet for my overall health. But as far as weight loss is concerned, I've found that more important than what exactly you're eating is how much in your overall caloric intake. And I found that the secret to weight loss was to simply keep lowering, you know, count it, count your calories every day and as needed, lower the uh, amount of daily calories. So I started, I mean, I, before I wasn't counting my calories, I'd guess I was probably taking in like in between 3000 to 4,000 calories a day on average, you know, it, it's, it varies to some degree based on whether you're a man or a woman, but roughly it's like 2000 calories a day is roughly what you should have. So I started by bringing myself down to like 2,500 or 2000 calories a day and the weight just started to fall off. And then once in a while I would hit like a weight loss plateau where I'd maintain the routine that helped me lose weight, but I wasn't losing weight anymore. So I'd lower my calories a bit more. And nowadays, um, because I'm trying to lose a little more, now I, I try to eat like in between 1,200 to 1,500 calories a day. And if I do that, I lose weight. Once I hit my goal, uh, then I might be able to move up to like 1,800 or 2,000 calories a day again. And it's funny, I've always had a major sweet tooth. And, you know, it's, it's hard for me to stomach, no pun intended, the idea of giving up, uh, you know, all the foods I love. So like I said, you know, I'll let myself cheat or eat some kind of junk as long as I mind my calories for the day. So there's really some days where uh, once a week I'll buy a little tub of Haagen-Dazs vanilla bean. Vanilla bean's like my favorite ice cream flavor. So some this is how I'll start my day off sometimes. I'll wake up, grab uh, a little thing of Haagen-Dazs out of the freezer put it out on the counter for a little bit so it gets nice and melty. And I will eat that whole thing <laughs> before I go to work. That's such a horrible way to start off the day. But that's like 900 or 1,000 calories probably. Then for lunch, I'll have like a semi-healthy like sandwich, like maybe grilled chicken on whole wheat or something like that. Maybe a little bit of melted cheese on it or whatever. And... um then for supper, I might eat something like really, really light, like just a little bit of like grilled chicken or something like that. And then to kind of keep my hunger at bay, I'll eat like sugar-free jello or like carrots or maybe a piece or two of fruit of fruit at night. And that will be it for the day. Then I wake up the next morning, step on the scale, and often, you know, I weigh less than I did the, uh, the day before. And the reason why I choose Haagen-Dazs, and no, they don't, they don't support the, uh, the show. Um, the reason why I choose Haagen-Dazs, it, it tastes awesome. I actually think it's probably the best tasting brand of ice cream. But also, you know, I cut out high fructose corn syrup. 
And Haagen-Dazs is one of the probably the, the healthiest ice creams out there. If you look at the ingredients, especially with a simple flavor like vanilla or vanilla bean, there's usually only like four or five ingredients. It's like milk, actual sugar, you know, not high fructose corn syrup, egg yolks, uh, vanilla extract or whatever it is. And uh, yeah, so that way I avoid the high fructose corn syrup, plus it tastes really good. Um, so I will let myself eat junk as long as it doesn't have high fructose corn syrup in it. I used to drink a lot of soda. Now, like my two favorite beverages, I'll, I'll use favorite judiciously or put it in quotes or whatever, because uh, most diet soda has a very, to me, has like a kind of off-putting, really kind of synthetic or artificial taste to it. It just, come on, it doesn't taste as good as regular soda. But almost like beer, if you drink enough of it, it becomes an acquired taste and you actually find yourself kind of liking it to a degree in a sense. So I drink a lot of Pepsi One, which, uh, and who knows, I imagine in like 10 years or something, they're probably going to find out like those artificial sweeteners like sucralose and phenylalanine. There's already talk of that those things aren't really great for you but they'll probably find out that they ravage you you know somehow or whatever cause cancer or whatever um they're probably absolutely horrible for you in some way or another um but i drink a lot of pepsi one and then um if i do want to allow myself regular soda here and there i'll drink pepsi with uh i think it's just called pepsi real sugar and it's made with cane sugar which is how most of our other countries that sell soda, they make their, their soft drinks with real sugar, with cane sugar, not high fructose corn syrup. And there is a diet drink that I think tastes almost as good as real soda that I'm almost addicted to. And we'll probably find out that it's not great for you either. But it's this stuff called sparkling ice. It comes in these kind of tall, long plastic bottles. And... It's fizzy, you know, it's carbonated, and I don't know what the exact artificial sweetener they use in, use in it is, but it lacks that gross diet drink aftertaste, and it, I think it has like 2% fruit juice in it as well, but sparkling water, and it's got zero calories, and I can literally, like, I'll buy like a 12-pack of that stuff or buy like 10 individual bottles on sale, and in one day, I can go through five of those like it's nothing. Um, they, they taste awesome, but I know it's probably, figuratively speaking, like a deal with the devil. You know, you probably pay for it um, in some sense. I was reading that sparkling water in general, and supposedly this is the case with sparkling ice too, that all that, the carbonation's not great for your tooth enamel, and I'm sure the artificial sweeteners probably aren't, you know, great in some way for you either. But why am I rambling on about that? But, but there's, a, there's a, a glimpse behind the curtain into <laughs> my diet lifestyle or whatever. And allow me to quickly correct myself so I don't have to do it next week. I'm looking at the can I'm drinking right now, and I don't know why I'm saying Pepsi One. Isn't there a diet drink called Pepsi One? This is actually, uh, this is Pepsi Zero Sugar Max Taste. And uh, it's funny, they don't advertise it in a really explicit way. But if you read the uh, the ingredients, it has ginseng root extract in it. 
And I think that helps give a little kick, maybe a little energy. So I guess, am I, is this like the Berenstain universe mandala effect thing? Isn't there a drink called Pepsi One? This is a Pepsi Zero Sugar Max taste. And the other stuff, like I said, it's sparkling ice. I think uh, it's a kind of sparkling water, I guess. Uh, I think I referred to it specifically as sparkling water by accident once a minute ago. Um, but sparkling water usually has a really kind of dull, boring taste. It basically just tastes like carbonated water. Sparkling ice tastes like a fruit or soda drink. It has a really sweet taste to it. And it comes in a bunch of different flavors. Except uh, I think it's uh, it's either lemon or lemon lot. They have trouble with the citrus flavors for some reason. And I once posted on Facebook that it tastes the way a car tire smells. So avoid avoid the lemon or the lemon lime. But the uh, like the raspberry one's awesome. Any like the red flavored or red colored ones. And uh, there's a blue one. It might be made because Polar makes a line of drinks that look identical and have very similar flavors. I think there's uh, a line called Polar Frost that has like vitamins and some kind of energy stuff in it. And my favorite one, it's blue. It's a kind of unnatural blue you wouldn't find in nature, which probably isn't a good indication that's conducive to good health. Um, but still, you know, looks cool and tastes really good. This is not the episode I planned. 17 minutes in and I haven't even mentioned the topic I want to talk about or mentioned anything to do with atheism or religion. Uh, but let's go even further off the uh, the map or the uh, the set path, and I'll give you a health update on my dog as well. <laughs> and uh, if you guys are bored by my personal health updates, this might be uh, like we're venturing into a whole nother boring circle of uh, of of the inferno. But um, I want to thank friend and listener Vanessa for getting in touch with me and wishing me a belated birthday, a happy birthday, and for um, expressing her her concern about my, my pupper, my little chihuahua, Olive. And yes, I am a straight man with a uh, 12-pound dog named Olive. Um, and so I thought I'd give an update on her, and hopefully Vanessa's listening and she'll hear this. And so I knew my dog had heart trouble. When she was around 10 weeks old, you know, when I first got her and took her to her first uh, vet appointment, uh, the vet discovered a heart murmur. So just, you know, some kind of congenital heart thing. And now that she's 10 years old, it's finally catching up with her. And the vet suggested that she get an ultrasound, not just an ultrasound, but with a uh, veterinary uh, cardiologist. And so I booked an appointment weeks in advance with a nearby animal hospital and uh, they warned me ahead of time that would probably be in between $600 and $700. And you might think that since I work for my family, I might have a cushy job that pays a lot. No, I'm paid hourly. I come from a family with kind of an old school work ethic. Um, you get uh, paid what they think, you know, you deserve based on how much work you put. And I think, you know, I slave away, man. I'm like, uh, uh, sometimes I feel like a, um, well, I guess... Technically, they think it wasn't slaves who built the pyramids. Uh, it was most likely a kind of big civil work uh, project or something like that. But, you know, I feel kind of like that, like I'm breaking my back building the pyramids or something, you know, carrying heavy stuff all day, swinging a hammer, breaking a sweat. Now, my older brother, who took over the family business, 
not only did he learn the trade from my father, you know, starting at a young age, but he also, he went to a couple of different colleges. He went to Northeastern and um, what's the other one he went to? I, I forget. Uh, it, it slips my mind, but kind of like a, a technical college. Um, yeah, Wentworth Institute of Technology. And I think after he graduated, he actually had a really... I don't want to say cushy because it sounds like hard work, but he had a, a really well-paying job. I think it was in Hawaii or something working on, uh, like, it, it, he kind of oversaw these projects like um, building airport runways and stuff like that. And he kind of oversaw the crew. Somehow my father talked him back to the family business or whatever. Um, and me... I'm not a master carpenter or a licensed carpenter. And so my position is where it's kind of a hybrid position. I do a lot of real carpentry, a lot of cutting, a lot of, um, you know, trimming windows and doors and uh, stuff like that, um, uh, replacing windows uh, and, and whatnot. But also a lot of heavy grunt work, lugging bags of concrete, digging four foot post holes and uh, lugging all the heavy equipment around and stuff. And just because the nature of the business, and since I'm paid hourly, you never know how much you're going to earn each week. Uh, and sometimes there's lulls where you're waiting for an inspector or uh, there's unexpected downtime because the weather's not cooperating or whatever. So all of a sudden, you know, 600 or 700 bucks for a vet bill. And when I get there, then they tell me, oh, she's probably going to need x-rays too. And I'm like, what? I thought, you know, it was just supposed to be an ultrasound. And they said, in order to find out how bad her heart actually is, we need to check if there's fluid in the lungs. So we need to take x-rays as well, because that type of thing doesn't really show up with the ultrasound. And I don't want to be a heel and put money before my dog. And I'm like, you know, she's my responsibility. I got to take care of her. So I'm like, okay, let's do the x-rays. And like, I don't know if I mentioned it or not, but that's like another uh, $300. So the whole uh, bill ended up being over $1,000. Plus I had to go down to their pharmacy and get specially compounded medicine, which was another $80. Then get another uh, medicine from a compounding agency they use in New Jersey, which was uh, almost another $80. So just just crazy. Um, but yeah, they said the good news was she didn't have fluid in her lungs, which would have been bad. It would have been a sign of, you know, uh, kind of um, an advanced state of, uh, of congestive heart failure. So no fluid in the lungs, but they said she had an enlarged heart and she was having some difficulty breathing. So they they uh, prescribed her like three different meds and one of them was sildenafil. And I'm thinking, wait, isn't sildenafil Viagra? And I, I remembered that sildenafil was orig originally started out as a heart medication for humans and they still use it. Uh, they probably use it for humans too for that reason, but they also prescribe it for dogs. But still sounds kind of funny, like my my 12-pound chihuahua got a, uh, a prescription for Viagra. You know, it's, it's kind of very odd. But anyway, that's her story. Okay, so let's dive into the Silverman thing again. 
Why? Because I'm a masochist. Uh, actually, it's because my friends uh, Seamus and John from the Free Thought Prophet podcast have been taking some flack for having Silverman as a guest on their show. And it's funny, despite how much I've covered the Silverman situation, I've neglected to mention earlier that he actually appeared on the Free Thought Prophet. He also appeared on the Drunken Peasants, which seemed kind of surreal for some reason. Even more surreal was Dawkins' recent appearance on Joe Rogan. I'm a fan of both uh, Dawkins and Rogan, so it was like some weird comic book crossover. But what prompted me specifically to cover this whole Silverman thing again was a recent appearance John and Seamus made on the Right to Reason podcast. They debated someone named Felicia Entwistle, I believe her name is, uh, also known as Utah Outcast, I think, on whether or not it was right to platform David Silverman in light of the sexual assault allegations against him. And things got really heated. So heated it was almost awkward or uncomfortable to listen to. Uh, I was kind of vicariously squirming, you know. Uh, but Seamus was interested in hearing what I thought about the whole thing. And I had yet to choose a topic for the next episode, this episode. So I figured, what the hell, let's do a response. And to put things into some context, I've been friends with John and Seamus for a while now, and Seamus and I in particular stay in contact regularly. We first met when the guys asked me to come on their show, wow, maybe a, a couple of years ago or so. They also came on this show, and they had me uh, back on maybe last holiday season to talk about Krampus, which is uh, always fun. But maybe I'll start by playing a montage from the opening of that Right to Reason episode so we can kind of get a taste of the tone of what went down. And for some reason, Nothing Else Matters is playing in the background. I'm more of a thing that should not be, old school Metallica kind of guy. Nothing Else Matters, a little too mushy for me. But anyway, uh, here it is. And I already assume that the video version of this will get demonetized on YouTube, as most of my episodes do. Sometimes you can, uh, well, usually you can request a manual review, but by the time that goes through, even if you're approved for monetization, most of the people that are going to watch the video have already watched it. It's kind of like a sick joke. But... Um, I'm sure uh, copyright music in the background. I actually think it's a cover of uh, Nothing Else Matters, but still, I'm sure it won't help. And I know it's really annoying when I do this, but yet another thing before we start the clip. I forget that right before that montage starts, it opens with a, a clip that David Silverman... Uh, actually, Cult of Dusty played this on his show, too. But David Silverman, I guess, secretly recorded a conversation he had with Matt Dillahunty. And the purpose was to try to prove that Matt Dillahunty knew what went down between David Silverman and Matt's wife was consensual. And uh, the reasoning or the thinking on Silverman's part is if Silverman had actually sexually assaulted Beth Presswood, Matt Dillahunty's wife, would Dillahunty really be so calm and forgiving about the whole thing? You know, most people you would think if you found out someone sexually assaulted, someone you love or care about, uh, you know, a family member, a friend, a spouse, 
that you would not be so calm and forgiving. You'd want to rip their head off, or at least you would tell them you wanted absolutely nothing to do with them and that you didn't want to be in the same room as them. But to the contrary, Dillahunty pretty much says to Silverman, hey, you and I are uh, basically okay. And there's a lot of people or certain people I would not be willing to, to share a stage with. You're not one of them. And he, he encourages um, Silverman to continue his good work with American atheists and fighting the good fight and all that. He talked to me like you would talk to somebody who had fucked your wife without your permission. Okay. Not like some Here, let me play this for you. Let me sure. For you. Okay, this will just take a minute for me to find. No problem. I want you to just think while I'm looking at it, while I'm finding this, I want you to think of, um, I mean, are either of you two married? I am. John is currently. I'm, okay, John. I'm happily divorced. Okay, John. So uh, just imagine I sexually assaulted your wife. Okay. Okay. And um, I, I, I grabbed her and I gave her black and blue marks and... And she didn't like it, and it was it was really non-consensual. Imagine how it would be two years after that. I get you in a room, and I say, hey, uh, John, how are you and me? Uh-huh. Okay? Imagine how you would react. Yeah. Okay? Just listen to this. Okay. So to, to, after that lengthy discussion, um, how are we? We're pretty okay on the things that I actually care about and okay. want to talk about. We're fine. Okay. If you ever want to talk about things, other things. Nope. Okay. Past is done. Okay. I'm, I got more shit to do and more important stuff to do. And there are people that I wouldn't share a stage with for various reasons. You aren't one of them. Okay. Keep working for the best for American atheists and the movement. And I'm sure we'll fight on some shit from time to time. Sure. And I'm far happier to fight with people uh, who I know are trying to do the right thing for the movement than for, you know, Dan. That's not how you talk to somebody who molested your wife. That's true. That, uh, yeah, that wouldn't That's be the conversation something. we would be having in that circumstance. They couldn't go to the police. There's no way they could have gone to the police with that stuff. Why not? Um, because it's really difficult to prove rape. We are not interested in BDSM. If we were, we would have, we would have, we would have. This is about rape. How many times do I have to say it? He used BDSM and he raped her according to this woman. So you say. But you are uninterested and you do not care about this issue. So you say. Are you done? Can I talk now? Do I need a safe word to talk? BDS. Insensitive. I'm sure it was. Lying about this on a large scale problem, but there is a large scale problem of and men raping women and getting away with it, and you don't account for that. You are being a bad skeptic. I should be allowed to say who I want to fucking talk to. And you not are have allowed to. Thank no, you. you are. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm allowed sorry. to say who you don't want to answer for the things you do, you don't want consequences. I said I will talk to who I want to, no matter what anybody thinks. That's yeah, not the same yeah. thing. You, you are allowed to do that, but I'm allowed to say, fuck you. 
you can have whoever you want on your show and the consequences be damned because you're not going to have to live with them and the hurt and the pain that you perpetuate and the way that you delegitimize sexual assault accusations doesn't matter to you and you so, don't care. Can I ask another question? Can I, I'm, done. I'm done. Sorry. I'm done. Felicia, I am done. Felicia, I am can I ask done. one more question, please? No, I so, wow, pretty uh, heavy or intense, right? And there's even, a, I think there's a part where uh, she completely just breaks down and begin and begins sobbing. And, you know, it's really, it's difficult to listen to. And I have to say that, like, my gut reaction, and I was trying to be as objective as possible when I was listening to it. And, you know, I'm a pretty laid back guy, so I find it uncomfortable to listen to people arguing anyway, is uh, I was a little off put by how upset and angry she was. And I was hoping that wasn't just because I have a pre-existing, you know, relationship or friendship with the guys from the Free Thought Prophet. And, And, you know, I hope that I was still able to be objective to some degree. And that I wasn't starting off with some unfair bias against her just because I don't know her. And I know the people on the other side of the argument. And so while prepping for this episode, I went back and I listened to Seamus and John's original interview with Silverman a couple more times. And I listened to this Right to Reason episode a couple more times just so I could really drink it all in and become as acquainted as possible with the the material and formulate an opinion. And uh, upon subsequent listenings, I found that, you know, I was able to get over my initial response to Felicia's kind of uh, visceral combative attitude. And my opinion of her, kind of, you know, softened a bit where, I mean, it should go without saying, I think her heart is in the right place in the sense that I think all of us should really care about sexual assault and try to, obviously, you know, if we're decent human beings, condemn it, speak out against it, uh, try to do what we can to help prevent it. And, you know, and um, I should say, too, that I don't want to go out of my way to completely, you know, vilify her. And that I think, you know, I'm friends with with Seamus and I think he was getting angry, too, because, you know, maybe he was feeling kind of indignant or feeling like he was being attacked. So he was really pushing back. And as you could hear, the whole thing kind of turned into an uncomfortable uh, shouting match. And I think as much as we should all condemn sexual assault and try to make sure, you know, like we're not perpetuating some gross anachronistic mindset that, you know, when a woman comes forward with sexual assault allegations that she must be hysterical or that she should just be dismissed, you know what I mean? Um, We should always take allegations seriously and treat victims or, you know, people who may be victims with compassion and humanity and try to make sure that their allegations are investigated and that if we can discern, you know, that they were in fact violated, that they get justice. You know what I mean? But I think you have to take it on a case by case basis and look at the specific allegations and 
not automatically assume that just because someone was accused that that means they're automatically guilty and write them off as a pariah and not hear their side of the story or whatever. And I think to some degree, during the course of that appearance on the Right to Reason podcast, I think Felicia kind of, and hopefully she doesn't mind me using her name, um, she was a guest on the show, you know, using her her name. So uh, I, I'm not trying to, not trying to dox or... Um, wrongly put someone's name out there. And I, I don't think anyone should go after her or anything like that. As you can tell, I'm trying to handle this thing with kid gloves and as be as fair as possible to all parties here. Um, and I'm trying to, you know, use her name respectfully and speak of her respectfully. So hopefully she doesn't mind me using her name. But I think she, the feeling I got is that she kind of contradicted herself a bit because they get into a conversation about what percentage of allegations are false? And I think the percentage varies, but it's usually stated, I think, as something like in between two to eight or two to 10 percent of allegations where charges are actually filed, you know, with uh, the police. Only that, two to the eight or two to the 10 percent are actually proven to be false, where no actual crime or assault took place. And you can go and listen to that interview or that debate on the Right to Reason podcast yourself. But the feeling I got is, and I thought she was being a little glib um, or presumptuous, but she was basically saying that that percentage is so small that's basically safe to assume that, you know, any allegations that are brought forward against someone, they're most likely true. And, and so that's uh, enough reason not to have someone who's accused, you know, on your show or whatever. And when Seamus and John originally interviewed Silverman, they also got into a conversation about that percentage. And I think John rightly says that, you know, theoretically, let's say it's only 1% of accusations that are false, that... That's still enough where you shouldn't just automatically chuck the accused under the bus or assume that they're guilty. Uh, people are due due process. Um, and sure, you can say that there's a difference between a court of law and the court of public opinion. But I think if you want to be a fair, open-minded person, that even in the court of public opinion, you should try to look at each individual case and look at the merits or lack thereof of the allegations, etc. And so that seemed later on, like she backpedals a little because John and or Seamus will say something like, um, you know, it's it's wrong to assume just because someone's accused that they're guilty. And, and she'll say, did I say that? Did I make that point or whatever? So later on in the interview, she seems to be kind of implicitly agreeing that you shouldn't just assume someone's guilty because they were accused. And something occurred to me while I was listening to all this, and it was that percentage that, you know, to the six, to the eight, to the 10, whatever the exact percentage is of uh, allegations that turn out to be false that those supposedly apply to cases where um, 
an alleged assault has actually been reported to the police or, you know, uh, charges filed or whatever. Uh, I wonder what the percentage is regarding cases that haven't been reported. If it, if the uh, amount of false allegations is more, if it's similar, I, I honestly have no idea. But I think it's um, it's a valid question to uh, to ask. And in fairness to Felicia, and um, I think it it, it really is uh, um, disturbing, but. A good deal, or I believe if not most, sexual assaults don't get reported, either because the victim feels ashamed or doesn't know how to process everything and and, um, is afraid that, you know, they don't want to go through the trauma of a court case or talking to the police um, or they're afraid that they might go through, you know, all that and, and still not see justice. Or maybe they fear retribution from their assailant. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's a really valid point she makes that uh, unfortunately, disturbingly, a lot of sexual assaults don't go uh, reported. Um, so we shouldn't just cavalierly wave off sexual assault allegations because they weren't you know, officially reported to the police or whatever. Um but once again, I think we should take it on a case-by-case basis. And I honestly don't know what the exact truth is uh, regarding what really went down between Silverman and these women. And at some point in that interview, Felicia brings up the idea of credible allegations and that she believes the allegations against Silverman are credible enough to assume that he's guilty, that he's, um, you know, a sexual assaulter or whatever, or a rapist. Um, But to me, the Silverman case is one where I actually think there's credible doubt. Like, there's someone else, like uh, Harvey Weinstein or something. You know, that guy, there's so many accusations against him with so many similarities. I mean, I think it's safe to assume the guy's a monster, you know? With David Silverman, I mean, you guys heard that clip where Silverman is talking to um, Beth's husband, Matt Dillahunty, and Matt Dillahunty, in fairness to Silverman, does seem to be reacting more like a guy who's in an open marriage and whose wife slept with someone he didn't particularly want them with but who thinks that it it wasn't assault. I know that's a lot to read into it, but I think that was a fair point made by Silverman, that if Dillahunty really thought that Silverman had raped or sexually assaulted his wife, that he wouldn't be be taking that, that kind of forgiving attitude with Silverman. That being said, I don't want to seem like a chauvinist or a misogynist. We should remember that it's Beth Presswood's body, not Matt Dillahunty's. And... Just because he might not think that his wife was assaulted, uh, and we can kind of glean that maybe he thinks the encounter was consensual based on that hidden recording, you know, that's not the final word in law. It's it's her body at the end of the day. But I think it is somewhat revealing that Matt Dillahunty seems to take that attitude, that seemingly forgiving attitude towards Silverman. Now, on the other hand, there are things that I do still find concerning regarding this whole Silverman thing, some of the allegations or whatever. 
And Dusty Smith, and I talked about this in the past, had a conversation with someone who was supposedly Richard Carrier, another high-profile figure in the kind of atheist-slash-skeptic community. And uh, skeptic community has kind of a, a tainted connotation nowadays, uh, at least as far as YouTube is concerned. So I'm not saying Carrier is a part of uh, that. But supposedly Carrier admits to also sleeping with Matt Dillahunty's wife. If you're not familiar with the case, supposedly Matt Dillahunty and his wife were in an open relationship. They were kind of swingers. And Matt, uh, Richard Carrier suggests that he also slept with, uh, with Beth Presswood, um, was saying how she was kind of a, a freak down for anything. But he also says that he had talked himself with David Silverman. This is what's implied from the DMs. And that that supposedly he claims that Silverman had bragged about supposedly ignoring safe words. Now, I find that deeply disturbing and concerning. And if Silverman did, in fact, ignore safe words, or he was supposedly bragging about that to Carrier, and, and that's true, that's vile, you know, that's, that's a total game changer. So once again, I do not know what the exact truth is. But I think there's enough, what I would call, I guess, credible doubt that, and, and you know, I, some people probably find this to be a kind of insensitive phrase or term, but I think at this point, it really does seem like a he said, she said. I think there's enough credible doubt that I don't think it's immoral or unethical to have David Silverman on your show. Um, and in the interest of intellectual honesty, I should mention that, yeah, as some of you probably know, that, that there's at least one other allegation against Silverman. Um, someone, you know, a woman came forward to say that Silverman, she had sex with Silverman in return for the promise of a job. And it gets really kind of graphic. But since he didn't have a condom, he uh, asked the girl if it was all right to engage in anal sex. So he her story is they engaged in anal sex um, with the promise of a job with American atheists. Uh, Silverman's story is that he made it clear up front that he couldn't promise her a job and there wouldn't be a job and that the sex was consensual. Um, I have no idea. And I think Felicia says that there's a third accuser or something like that. And I have no idea about that one. Uh, so, I mean, it's some really lurid stuff that went down, at least. And as I said before, you know, at the very least, um, Silverman des probably deserved to lose his position for abusing, you know, uh, a position of power or authority that he had at these atheist conferences or whatnot as a representative of American atheists. But uh, American atheists, but um, uh, I don't know what the truth is with the Beth Presswood case or the case with this other woman and whether or not there really was a job or whatever promise, some kind of quid pro quo. Uh, I, I just I I just don't know. But with that being said, you know, I'm in a I'm in a rush here. As I mentioned, uh, I have a Halloween party to attend. Um Wow, and it's in uh, it's in a little over an hour, so I, I really gotta go. So, thanks for listening, as always, guys, and until next time.